Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy, and today we're coming to the conclusion of the series I've been teaching that grace was always God's plan. God never intended for law to be given, but the people demanded it, and even in that, God took the law to point them back to the eternal plan of grace. Let's go to the Word of God together today, and let's rejoice in it. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome back to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Good to have you here today. And I want you to open up with me to Exodus chapter 19. We're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. We've been three days on the subject of how were people saved in the Old Testament. The subject on grace has always been the answer. God has never been a God of legalism. God's never been a God of vengeance and, and all this above everything. No, he's always been above everything, a God of love. He, in fact, his name is love. And the thing that God always wanted to show us is grace. And the reason why during the time of the law, there was the anger of God that was shown is because man said, we want to handle our sin. And God knew that was impossible. But the people said, show us what you want. And God said, okay, I'll show you what I want. And from the moment that Moses went up that mountain, the people were afraid because they saw things they had never seen. The anger of God displayed toward them. They'd seen it toward other things, but not toward them in this way. The mountain was covered with fire and with smoke and the ground shook and the people were afraid for their lives because why? One thing, they wanted to approach God from the fact that they could conquer their own sins. This was their arrogance. And God simply had told them from that time on, I mean, all the way back, his mercy and his grace had handled everything. His vengeance was there, but it was on the enemies, not on them. His protection was on his own people. They had the land of Goshen while all these plagues and 10 plagues were being poured out on the people of uh, Egypt and on the households of Egypt, on the leadership of Egypt, on the firstborn of Egypt, on their cattle, all these different things where we saw that rivers turned to blood. That's what happened. But again, at the end of it, even when it came to the Red Sea, God preserved the children of Israel, sent them through on dry ground. They saw the mercy and grace of God, even though they knew themselves, they did have sin in their lives. And so now they come to the wilderness, and they have this arrogance about them. God, you just tell us what you want. I mean, I guess because of God's grace, it went to their head. We are a really special people. Well, yes, you are because you're Jews and God has a future for your life. But God, when it comes to salvation, doesn't consider one person above another. Think about this. Abraham was the first Jew, but what was he before a Jew? He was a Gentile. God converted and turned a Gentile into a Jew. He didn't just wake up one day and suddenly crave bacon. That was not the purpose behind it. This was not the whole thing. No, what happened was it was an internal change before there was an external change. On the inside, he had faith toward God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. That's Genesis chapter 12, Romans chapter 4. It was accounted to him for righteousness. He became at that time the first Jew. From him came two races. One race was the physical race. That's the sands of the sea. That's an earthly race. And that's, but that one has no difference, has no superiority over any other race on the earth, except for God has a plan for that nation. But as far as them being born under God's favor to go directly to heaven, no, no one's born under that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
But the second thing he started out of Abraham was a heavenly race that was called the stars of heaven. And that's the one he said, and you shall all nations be blessed. So I'm not the sand of the sea. Bob is not a sand of the sea. I am not a Jew. I'm an Armenian, but I'm, I'm a white. I'm a, you know, just that's, that's who I am. I had no choice in all this. This is how I was born. But the point of it was, I was not born a Christian. I was born an unbeliever. I was not born in God's family. I was born in Satan's family, just as you are born in Satan's family, just as you are not born under a great blessing of God. No, you're born under the curse of Adam and the curse of Satan. And what Satan did through Adam passed on everybody. In Adam, all die, but we're born in Adam, so all die. Everybody born into this earth is born spiritually dead with the nature of the flesh, the nature of sin. The moment we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we transfer from Adam over to Jesus in Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. The moment we are in Jesus Christ, we are made alive spiritually. And from that time on, we begin to renew our soul, renew our mind, start to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus. And even though we still have the nature of the flesh, that's something that drives us towards sin and pushes towards sin, now we have the power over it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if I walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if I live by the word, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I have power over sin. I can not only be saved, but I can walk like I'm saved. I can not only be righteous, I can act righteous. I'm not only saved from sin, I'm saved from sinning. The whole beauty of the Christian life is the fact I have been given the Holy Spirit and given the power of the word of God and now I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ and now I am the stars of the heaven. I'm connected to Abraham like a physical Jew is connected to Abraham. I'm connected to him spiritually and the physical race is connected to him physically. So he started a physical race called the Jews of which the Jewish race, the Jewish nation has a future, but only for those that receive Jesus as savior. The land still belongs to them, always will belong to them. God has a future for them. Nations will not be able to conquer them for long. They're always judged and, and Israel rises right back up. In fact, from the time that Jesus left this earth to sit down at the right hand of the father, a few years after that, Israel, the city was taken, Jerusalem was taken, the, uh, the temple was destroyed and the people were dispersed and scattered all around the world until 1948, they came back. And when they came back in 48, they never will lose that nation again. They will never ever depart from that country again. It is theirs now forever. It's theirs through the rest of the church age. It's theirs through the rest of the, or through the tribulation. And it'll be theirs throughout all of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, except once the millennium begins, the only Jews that will be there will be born again Jews. And so again, God has it. Even Jesus Christ will come back and rule from there. That's the difference we have here. So the point of it is, is when the children of Israel said to God, we want to handle it our own sin. The anger of God came out and they saw the anger of God. The protection of God was different now. We still protected them, but they had to walk by all the rules, regulation, the do's and don'ts of the law. So the reason why they saw the anger of God was again, because they came on the basis of their own works. And we think that our works can equal what you want. And that's when God got angry because there's only one. And it's been prophesied. They actually went against Bible prophecy. And they knew about this. Moses had taught them about the coming Redeemer, the coming Savior, and how he'd be on the earth. And they're simply saying, no, we, don't, uh, we can do it ourselves. We don't need him. And that's again when the anger of God comes out. 
but it's been prophesied through the word of God, no one can save themselves. So a lot of people still believe during the time of the law, that's from Moses till Jesus Christ, they believe that during that time period that people were saved by keeping the law. If it's possible, Jesus didn't need to come. No one. The, for the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, and no flesh means no flesh. The only one that came and could keep the law was Jesus Christ, but he was born of a virgin outside of the curse on mankind. Next of all, just like Adam, who was outside the curse too, Adam walked into the curse. Jesus, when he was tempted, never walked into the curse. The, the last Adam, Jesus, never walked into that curse. And so he kept himself clean and pure all the way up to the time he went to the cross. And on the cross, he was the righteous dying for the unrighteous. He was the son of God dying for the sons of men. And there he took our sins on the cross and he's the only one that can handle sins. We can't do it until we're born again. Once we're born again, and we, like I said, the power of the word, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can handle sin then, but as a sinner, you cannot. So this is why, again, that when the people cried out for the law, God in anger gave them the law. But on the other side, I think this is what God did. The Bible doesn't specifically say this, but I see it. The reason why God tacked on the sacrifices too, there's the law and the sacrifices, is when he gave them the law, if there had been no way out of it, they had just been depressed every day because they can't keep it. What he gave them was the sacrifices. So when they sinned over here against the law, they could take a sacrifice and have that remitted. But the sacrifice speaks of Jesus Christ. So even the law itself and the sacrifices put together was God witnessing to them that you're a sinner, you need a savior. And that's exactly how we witness to the world today. In essence, the law has now been taken in us and we fulfill it through the coming of, through the uh, intake of Jesus' word by the living in the spirit and the fact that I've been born again, I can fulfill the word. I can fulfill the law. So in fulfilling the law, here's what I do. I now take the gospel to everyone and I'm like the walking law of God fulfilled, like Jesus was the walking law of God fulfilled. I don't fulfill the law by fulfilling the law. I don't fulfill the law by keeping the law. I fulfill the law by walking in the word of God and walking in the spirit. Those are two things were given to me the moment I were born again, the, the ability to live like Jesus lived in this earth. So again, I'm still, I still have the nature of the flesh. I am not Jesus. I am not God. But what he's done is given me his power, given me his authority in this earth that just like God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, he's anointed Bob of Tulsa. So the beauty beautiful thing is, is just as Jesus was anointed as a human being, I have been anointed as a human being and can walk in the things of God. So it simply comes back to this. Jesus did not fulfill all these things because he was God. He's, yes, he was God, but he fulfilled it as a human being who kept the word of God, did not falter, did not fail, born outside the curse and remained outside the curse. At any time, he could have said yes to the devil, walked into that curse like Adam did, but he did not. So let's take a look here. I've had you turn to Exodus chapter 19, verses three through eight. And this is where we're going to start today. I guess I've already started. In verse three, it says, Moses went up to God and the Lord God called him from the mountain saying, this you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how that I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." 
These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people, laid them before all them, all the words of God commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. In essence, I, he went down and said, one more chance to come to God as he asked you to by grace and let him handle your sins. They said, no, we can handle the sins. We can do it. So Moses went back to God and he told the words of the people to the Lord. And then he brought back the word of the Lord to the people, which was the law that God was given. Any people who could keep the law would be a holy nation, special treasure, and a kingdom of priests to the Lord. But no man could ever keep the law. Only Jesus could keep the law, and he did keep the law and introduced the church as a new priesthood. Why? Because you can't fulfill the law till you become a child of God. You can't become a fulfiller of the law till the fulfiller of the law lives in you, Jesus Christ. Once that happens, now I can fulfill the law. And that's why now that I've been born again, I'm a member of the church and I'm a member of a new priesthood. First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a unique people. The law was a choice of the people to leave grace. God set before them life and death and they chose death. When the law of Moses was given from Sinai, the people immediately abandoned their position in grace and they embraced the law. They exchanged eagle's wings for turkey wings. They thought they could do more for God than he could do for them. And they, like us, can only have an utter dependence on the Lord. We cannot save and we cannot keep ourselves. We can only come to God on eagle's wings and please God by remaining on eagle's wings. Galatians 3, 3, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? I'll see you right after halftime. We'll come back and continue here in just a moment. The awesome grace of God begins with salvation and carries us all the way through this life and into eternity. Because of the work of the cross, God's grace is absolutely free to all who will simply receive it. In this five-lesson teaching series, Pastor Bobby Indian highlights the foundational Bible truths concerning four specific types of grace that God has provided for us. The topic titles are Mephibosheth, Convicting Grace, Saving Grace, Living Grace, and Dying Grace. Understanding the nature of the grace of God in each of these areas of life will help you understand the nature of His character and His unconditional love for us. To order types of grace, go to bobyandian.com. How much faith do I need to be healed? In The Grace of Healing, Bob Yandian answers this question and reveals the missing ingredient to the healing you've been praying for. Grace. Throughout church history, the doctrines of grace and faith have been taken to separate extremes as they relate to healing. The result is that many believers struggle to receive healing from God. Those on the side of grace deny the need for faith, believing that God only heals a select few. For those who only see a need for faith, the pursuit of healing becomes a legalistic struggle to change God's mind. Pastor Bob takes a different approach with practical biblical teaching that balances both elements of grace and faith. You'll find the healing you've been waiting for when you find the missing ingredient of grace. To order The Grace of Healing, visit bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, 
this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. As the law was given and sin was revealed, another side of God appeared. When Moses came down from the mountain, he was covered by the glory of God. But you know why? Because Moses remained a grace man. And up until his dying breath, he remained a man that relied on the grace of God. And so did others that were around him. Joshua did the same thing. Caleb did the same thing. So we have some great men around him who stayed in grace and stayed in faith, but yet the people as a whole decide they would turn toward the law. Understand this. These people were not unbelievers. They were believers who turned to the law. And that's spoken about in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 3, having begun the Spirit. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? The answer is no, but that's what the Galatians did. So understand this, this did not make the people sinners. What it did was they were believers, but now they wanted to take their daily sins and simply handle it themselves. And simply coming back to this, you cannot handle your sins as a sinner and you can't handle your sins as a Christian. It needs the the blood of Jesus Christ both times. For the sinner, it's the shedding of blood. For the Christian, it's the sprinkling of blood. And where the shedding of blood was a bowl full of it, the sprinkling of blood was just small drops. It only takes a little bit of the blood of Jesus Christ, but even the little bit compared to what Jesus did on the cross, you can't do it. There's no way you can. You need God as a sinner and you need God as a Christian. You need the blood of Jesus to get born again. You need the blood of Jesus that when you depart from God and sin comes into your life, that when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As the law was given and sin was revealed, another side of God appeared and that is the side of anger. You don't understand that whenever you as a Christian sin, you don't see as a big thing. God sees it as a major thing. And and God gets angry at you for doing that if you won't come back to him. What is God pleased with? With Jesus, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when you are carnal, you are no longer in faith. And just as Jesus Christ was well pleasing to the father because he lived such an impeccable life, God is pleased with us as we live an impeccable life, not from from now to eternity. No, it's from now to when we sin next time. But when we sin next time, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that if we simply confess our sins, his grace is there. His mercy is there to cleanse us. And so the people of Israel chose a covenant of works and they departed from the mercy that was shown to their father Abraham. They fell from grace. If you ever wonder what that verse in Galatians mean, that you have fallen from grace, he's not talking here about a sinner. He's not also talking about a Christian that's now headed toward hell. No, it's simply Galatians 3, 3, that having begun in the spirit, you now try to be made perfect by the flesh. The flesh did not get you into Christianity. and The flesh cannot keep you in Christianity. It's the spirit of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, that saved you and you need to continue in the grace of God. Otherwise you are a carnal Christian. Are you still a Christian? Yes, but you don't look any different or act any different than the world. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter five and verse 14, that when you are a carnal Christian, you are asleep among the dead. If you have a hundred dead people laying here and one of them is just sleeping, you can't tell it until you get real close and check for signs of life. Voila, that's what the Christian is who's carnal. He's sleeping among dead people, fellowshipping with dead people, 
just like the prodigal son went out and, and sowed his wild oats and slept with women and stayed in the bars and all the different things and finally came to himself in a pig pen, he went back home to his father. Was he still his father's son? Yes, because he said, I will return to my father. The relationship still existed. And he said, I will tell him I have sinned before him and before God. That's how a believer does it. Not uh, like an unbeliever. An unbeliever comes and confesses the lordship of Jesus. A sinner cannot confess his sins. That is only for a priest to do. And once you become a believer, you now stand as a priest and now you can take your sins to the Lord. And God simply says, make it quick. Because the anger that God showed from that mountain was not toward unbelievers, but toward believers who now decided, oh, I know I was saved by grace, but I'm gonna keep myself through my works. And so they fell from grace. Their self-effort replaced God's effort. They simply said, God, you just sit there. We're gonna do this ourselves. We can handle it ourselves. And even as a born-again Christian, you can't handle your own Christian life. Why? Because you still have the nature of the flesh. You have the pressure of the devil. You have the pressure of the world out there coming against you. And sometimes you falter and fail. Only Jesus never faltered and never failed. Even Adam did and Eve did. But in your own life as a born-again Christian, we have an out on that one. And that is the moment we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That again, if we take our sins to him and confess it, as a priest does, only a priest can come boldly before the throne of God. And as a Christian, you come boldly before the throne of God and confess that sins as a priest before your great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Israel chose to keep God's law, they met another side. That's the anger, the smoke, the fire, all the different things, the ground shaking and all the different things that happened. They met that side of God's character. Exodus chapter 19, verses 18 through 24. The peaceful display of God's presence was gone. Fire, smoke, darkness, and earthquake covered the mountain. The loving character of God had changed from mercy to wrath and judgment. God, who had been approachable by grace, was now unapproachable by fallen man. Sin exposed by law kept man from approaching God, but even during the law, grace was available to all who sought it. Joshua, after Moses, Joshua lived by grace. Gideon lived by grace. Samuel lived by grace. David lived by grace. Solomon, boy, if there's anybody who really had problems in his life, it was Solomon. And yet he understood the grace of God. Many of the other kings and the prophets, and of course, one of the greatest of the Old Testaments himself is Samson. What a, what a display of carnality, but what a display of the loving mercy of God toward a believer. So it simply comes back to this again. Even during the law, grace was available to all who sought it. I come back to the essence of this broadcast, this particular series I'm teaching now, is that grace has always been God's answer, always. Even during the dispensation of the law, grace was still the way you approach God. What was the purpose of the law? To point you back to grace. It said again, Paul said, he said, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And once we come to Christ, we're no longer the schoolmaster. The purpose of the law, it was not the covenant of God. It was not the major covenant. The covenant of God was grace. And because man departed from grace, God gave them the law when they asked for it. But the purpose of the law was to point them back to grace. The purpose of the law was to point to the fact you still are in essence in your body. You have the nature of the flesh. But on top of that, he said, you have the word. You have the ability to come before me and to confess your sins or before a priest here on this earth and confess your sins. They wouldn't do that. They wanted to handle it themselves. And so they saw the anger of God. Even during the law, grace was available to all who sought it. Again, I came back to one of my key chapters, and that is chapter four of the book of Romans. In it are two major characters. One is Abraham, and a few verses later is David. 
And Abraham uh, believed in the Lord. It was accounted to him for righteousness. And he came by grace through faith. The same way that Ephesians 2 tells us, for by grace you are saved through faith. And that's how Abraham sought it before God, came before God and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. In so doing, he sought the Lord and saw his mercy. He saw his grace and therefore accepted it by faith. That's how he was saved. But in Romans chapter four, just a few verses later, it said, and David said, happy is the man whom the Lord imputes not his trespasses against him. What are we bringing out? And that was Abraham was before the law, 430 years, never even saw the law, died before the law was given. So he never even knew the law and yet he pleased God. He accepted him by faith and walked by faith and found himself and even in the heroes of faith of Hebrews chapter 11. But the same thing happened with David, except David was during the law. So again, Abraham before the law, David during the law, us after the law, what's always been the key? The grace of God. He's never been a God who abandoned grace and went to law. The people did, but not him. He gave the law for one thing. You stupid people, you're going to find out by trying to keep this. You can't keep it. But I'm going to give you the sacrifices so that you can come back again and understand. And through those sacrifices and through those law, you're going to find two things. Number one, the law points to you. You're a sinner. And the sacrifices point to Jesus Christ, the answer to your sin. And so again, even during the law, during that time period, grace was available to all that sought it. Grace brings us to Zion. Abraham mentioned it, David mentioned it, not Sinai. Hebrews chapter 12 says in verses 18 through 24, you have not come to the mountain that may not be touched and burned with fire to blackness and darkness and tempest, but the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And even so much as if a beast touched the mountain, it had to be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly was afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of, of Abel. Abel was under the covenant of grace introduced after the fall. Our covenant, the new covenant is even better. The blood of Jesus has dealt once and for all with all sin and death. And so we are free from the law, but we're not lawless. We can see this in our own nation, actually around the world. The black population of the United States of America was under slavery until they were emancipated by the Civil War. Many though, once they were freed, became political leaders, inventors, and musicians. They took advantage of the change of ownership from slave masters to the ownership of American freedom. They were as free as any white citizen to sit on any bus seat, eat at any restaurant, apply to any university, eat at any place, and work for any business. Our lives have been greatly blessed by their contributions. George Washington Carver, Booker T. Washington, music and sports, every part of our life has been greatly enhanced by the black population when they received their freedom. Great contributions have come from black doctors, congressmen, Supreme Court justices, but the enemy of the black American freedom proclaimed they could do anything they felt like doing it anytime they wanted to, rob stores, burn buildings, kill police. In the parallel of the Christian life, we are all in slavery to sin, spiritual death, and Satan. Now that we have been born again, we've been set free and no longer need to live in bondage. But tyranny will not have dominion over us for we are under freedom and not under slavery. 
We have not been set free to sin any time in any place we want to. Galatians 5.13 says you have been called to liberty, but do not use your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That simply comes back to the plan of God, this plan of grace and what he's got for you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, receive him right now. Just simply call on him and say, Jesus, I let you sit on the throne of my life and I'm gonna get off the throne of my life. Here I am, I'm totally yours. As a Christian now, don't try to go back to your own works. As far as your own works are concerned, you're no better off than you were as a sinner, but now you have the power of God to handle it. Continue to walk in grace. Now that you've been set free by grace, continue to walk in grace. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.